Okay, if you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn to the end of Matthew's Gospel? If you have a Bible with you, you could turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Uh, the scripture references that we look at will just come up on the screen as well, so you can follow them. Follow them there. As, um, as Kieran mentioned earlier on, we've just begun this season of of all gathering together midweek, haven't we, for, uh, for vision nights. It was great to have the first one of those uh, on, on Wednesday. And we were looking at what it means to be, um, well, what it means to be a church full stop. Not just what does it mean to be City Church, but what does God intend for us to understand the church to be? And we were considering there what it means to be a people on mission as our very first kind of midweek vision night topic. A people on mission. That's where we started. And that's where we're going to continue today. We're going to kind of continue the theme from the midweek and look at that together on the Sunday as well. And that's why we're going to spend a few moments looking at Matthew chapter 28, at the final verses of that chapter, um, which in many Bibles will be uh, entitled or subtitled, The Great Commission. So I'm going to read from verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a way to finish Matthew's gospel. What a way uh, of grabbing uh, the attention of those 11 disciples and our attention as well with the, with the ongoing mission of God that they're being encouraged and invited uh, to continue in. Uh, it's often called the Great Commission. I'm not quite sure if the word great quite does it justice. This is this is awesome. This is wonderful. This is marvelous. If you're a little bit like me, this is slightly frightening as well. But it is absolutely a fundamental part of the good news. You see how all-encompassing it is. Um, when it says, for example, looking at Jesus' words in particular, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is people recognize, here's a man with authority. We've not seen this before. The way that he teaches, uh, the way that he, he can heal, the way that he pronounces forgiveness in people's life. Who can do that? Who's got the authority to forgive sin? But Jesus himself, the Son of God, has that authority. People were struck by it. It's interesting that in trying to tempt him, uh, right back at the beginning of the, uh, of, of the gospel account, the devil himself said, if you bow down to me, this is my paraphrase, if you bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you authority over the kingdoms of the earth. Um, maybe that's the devil's way of saying, I'll give you some authority. But Jesus refused that temptation. He followed through with the Father's plan, which was to lay his own life down by dying on the cross. It says later on that he has authority to pick his life up again. Who has authority like that? Authority to come back to life on the third day. Well, the devil couldn't have given him that. 
He resisted Satan's way. He embraced the Father's way. And now, having died and been resurrected, he can say, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Absolutely all of them. I've got all authority, so go to all nations and, uh, and teach them all that I have commanded you. And I'm with you all the days. That is quite phenomenal. That is wonderful. That is awesome. That's what these 11 disciples were, were receiving, and that's what we receive as well. This commission to be with Jesus in this uh, central uh, task or instruction and privilege to make disciples, to make more learners for Jesus, people who are following him, people who are on his uh, mission. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, is someone who is, is following. That's what these 11 disciples have, uh, have been doing. And Jesus is spurring them on. Go and make more. He said earlier, hasn't he? Go and be fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now he's saying, go and make disciples, make more people who will follow, uh, who will follow me, follow in my footsteps. So we're going to consider this great commission uh, this morning. We're going to consider it in a few ways. Firstly, just going to remind ourselves, well, who is it that Jesus is speaking to? Firstly, it's obvious, it's right on the page. It says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped. And then this intriguing comment, but some doubted. This instruction was given to a group of 11 disciples, some of whom are there with the risen Jesus, who has shown them the scars on his body, proving, showing where he was uh, crucified, where he was nailed to the cross. They have met him uh, following his resurrection a number of times. Luke will say he opened their mind to the scriptures so that they could understand all that it said about him. And now, just before Jesus ascends to glory, in another resurrection appearance with the 11 disciples, it says some doubted. That's, that seems bizarre. For, maybe it seems a little bit awkward. Right at that point, some were with Jesus, but they, they doubted. It doesn't mean that they were kind of stubbornly refusing to believe. It means that they were still perhaps a bit, a bit troubled, indecisive, feeling a bit hesitant, a bit uncertain. And for some, uh, thinking about this passage or writing a book about it, you might say, well, maybe it wasn't just the 11 who were there at that moment. Maybe it wasn't just the 11. There, was a, there, were, there were others present as well. Maybe it was some of those others who doubted. But actually, the 11 were pretty, pretty firm, pretty sure, pretty confident, ready to roll. And it might, it might appeal to us to think that that was the case. The 11, well, they're fine, they're sorted. The leaders, they've, they've got it made. Maybe there were some others on the side, on the periphery. Not that significant in the grand scheme of things, we might think to ourselves. It's understandable that some of them doubted. I wonder what they did. Well, maybe there were some other people there present. But it's an argument from silence, and that's never a strong one. What we're told is, the 11 disciples went. The 11 disciples saw him 
worshipped him and that some of them doubted. Now that might have been a bit awkward at the time. A bit awkward for them to acknowledge. Actually, for us, this can be tremendously encouraging. Here's a group of 11 very ordinary people given an extraordinary task. This wonderful, great commission. In other words, despite their faults and frailties, their sometimes hesitation, their uncertainty, Jesus came to them. Jesus spoke to them. We can all know something of, of doubt or feeling overly cautious or a bit hesitant or uncertain or nervous. I, I, well, I, guess, I, I guess I could call myself a disciple, but I'm, I'm not really sure I've made it to their level. We're all at that level. <laughs> One way or another, at some time or another, we're all at that level. How wonderful of the Lord, then, to choose to use us. We can doubt sometimes, can't we? We can entertain doubts. We can think, well, I, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. We can live as though Jesus said, in a big, loud voice, some authority has been given to me over heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make some disciples, baptizing some of them, teaching some of them, some of the things that I commanded. And lo, I am with you for some of the days. We can, we can live in that world where we think, oh, it's a Sunday, we're all gathered together, isn't it wonderful? He's Lord in this place. We know his presence. Isn't it wonderful just to have the encouragements that we've had during worship and to, just to be praying for one another? You, you feel the benefit and the encouragement of just being together as God's people. And we can think, oh yes, oh for that day when we'll gather together. Now maybe you don't live for a Sunday. Um, but here's the encouragement. He says he has all authority. He's going to be with us all the days. We might have our doubts, but this is our saviour encouraging us. He chooses the imperfect. He chooses, he chooses those who are not experts. A, a disciple is a learner. And these disciples haven't finished learning. They've had three years with Jesus. I mean, what have you been doing for the past three years? I've lived in this city for 20. I'm still learning about Sheffield. I'm still learning loads of things. Well, they weren't, they weren't all done and dusted at three years. Jesus didn't give them a certificate and say, well done, you've now graduated from my school. He says, the mission continues. I'm going to continue to be with you in a different way, in a way, an even better way. I'm going to be with you by my Holy Spirit. So continue with me, keep following me, keep learning about me, and, and, and walk in my footsteps with this great encouragement, this great commission to go and make, go and make disciples. There's going to be something in us that just wants to be, to be trained in quite a contained way. Oh, I can't step out yet because I haven't been trained. I need to be trained first, and that might take three years. I mean, it takes... It takes longer to become a doctor, doesn't it? Or a vet or an architect. They were with him for three years. I want to be trained first, we can think. And then when I know that I'm fully trained and I've got good grades and I've got a piece of paper which says I'm kind of official, it's at that point that I'll go and do. I'll go and, I'll go and put it into practice. I've got my certificate. I've done my training. I've graduated. They, they are not, they're not graduating at this point. They're being encouraged on. And if we think in those terms, we can think, oh, I'm, I'm just not ready yet. 
And maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe that's what they were doubting. Oh, we're not ready for this. We're not ready for you to go. We're not ready to go into all the world. They, they hadn't become experts in world evangelization. They probably never left their own country. But Jesus is about to use them powerfully. So how, how, how then are we to make disciples? We've looked at who Jesus was speaking to. We remembered that actually that, that impacts us. We can uh, know some doubts, but God commissions and speaks to us, even in the midst of them, spurring us on. How are we to make disciples? Here's a, here's a number of ways uh, to point out. Uh, taking my lead from the passage where Jesus says, well, therefore, go. Go and make disciples. We make disciples by, by going. Sometimes that is by going to another nation. At the end of Mark's gospel, uh, in what's recorded there, Jesus says, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Praise God that people have taken him seriously. Praise God that we're here because people came to this nation. We're thousands of miles away from where this happened. And thousands of years later, praise God for people thinking, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to another nation. I'm going to go and... I'm going to learn another language. I'm going to learn a completely different culture. I'm going to go and help other people to meet Jesus. That is wonderful. And we're to give thanks. We're to honor those lives. We're to honor those stories. We're to pray for those we know who've gone, who've gone and done it. But obviously sometimes, for those of us who are doubting, we can think, well, I, I'm not in a position at the moment uh, to go very far. Making disciples means going to another place, planting a church. Now maybe the Lord is about to call some of us to do that. Wouldn't that be exciting? Take you by surprise. I've got a prophetic word for you. Um, But God speaks. Suddenly God can rearrange our lives profoundly and set us on a different path. But that's not all that it's about. Going to make disciples can often mean going around the corner. And going around the corner, we can sometimes discover, even on what we thought was our own patch and familiar ground, we're like encountering a whole other world. Never been here before. This, but this is a whole other world to me, but it's home to folk who just live right around the corner from me. I was reading a book recently, um, a guy called Neil Hudson. He actually came a few months back to speak at School of Leadership, so I know some of you will have, will have heard him speak. And through the course of this quite accessible book, he just shares a few stories of people realizing that they too can go and make uh, disciples or sharing different ways in which people have done that in their life. He shares, uh, he shares the story. Let me just pick out one of them for now. There might be a couple more uh, to come. shares a story about a couple. Uh, it says here, Uh, He writes himself, I met a young father whose wife was in a wheelchair. His work is to be his wife's carer. She's suffering from MS. They were people in a similar position to many others, feeling that the situation they were in was a difficult one. Well, yeah. One where they would not thrive. One where it is easy to believe that they could not be used by God. But they didn't let this situation define them. As we were chatting, he told me that when they moved into their present house, they decided to knock on each of the doors in their avenue to introduce themselves. As he put it, we can't go far. Let's go and make disciples. We can't go far. 
We can't go very far because of our circumstances, so we need to make sure that we're able to know the people around us. They had a purpose behind this. They wanted to build relationships with their neighbours so that they would be able to invite them around for barbecues in the summer and drinks in the winter. They wanted to be able to share their faith even in the midst of their difficulties. A couple who couldn't go very far, who, whose, whose opportunities in life were very restricted, and some, in perhaps less dramatic or difficult ways, sometimes we can feel that. My, my circumstances don't enable me to go very far. We can think of going as this extra thing to do in life. Well, here's how I spend most of my time. So, so when am I going to manage, in the context of spending like all these hours working and all these hours doing kind of necessary things of that, how am I going to find time to do these, these extra things that involve going and making disciples? Well, they just decided it's not, it's not extra. We're going to integrate it with what our ordinary life is. Um, he, he speaks to another, uh, another a, a young man. Who, um, who wants to be in full-time ministry, wants to be a, a worship leader, uh, be paid to be a worship leader, wouldn't that be nice? Um, and uh, he's really frustrated in his job. He's frustrated in his job because he's, he's overqualified for it. So it's not stretching him. Um, it's not rewarding him. He doesn't feel satisfied in it particularly. He's frustrated with God that God's not opened up some other opportunity. Oh, if only I could go and do something that seems more significant, that seems where right on the cutting edge of the kingdom of God. And he has a conversation. He's just reminded how Jeremiah um, encouraged people who were about to go into exile. Well, seek, seek the welfare. Seek the blessing of the city where you're going to be. And it just jogs him to have a different attitude towards his work. And he describes it. Ed, his name is. Page 121, I think, if you're interested. But anyway, um, he says, he, so he started to go to work 15 minutes early. He started to go to work 15 minutes early with in mind that he would just spend that time building a relationship with his colleagues. He would join in with their jokes. He'd have a chat about the football. And after some time, they have another conversation a little bit later on. After some time, they start to find out about his faith. And there are occasions when they're asking him to pray for stuff that's going on in their lives because he took that step. Years later, he is in a different job. God has opened up other opportunities. He didn't become a professional full-time worship leader. But he saw God using him where he was because he'd learned something about seeing what God could do. Now, maybe for some of you here, work is frustrating. Uh, You haven't got 15 extra minutes you want to spend there, to be honest. You're like working three hours overtime to get it all done. Uh, So just take the essence of the story rather than necessarily applying everything to yourself. It's just thinking, where can I go? Where am I going already? What does life involve? What does most of life involve doing? What, how can I integrate what it is to, to be a disciple of Jesus seeking to make other disciples um, in, in the kingdom of God? And do you remember a couple of weeks ago we had Andy Martin with us encouraging us? Oh, that was good. It's painfully good. Um, encouraging us to get out of our comfort zones. I responded that morning and I thought, okay, Lord, what, what, what small steps can I take just to get out of my own comfort zone? I've got quite a substantial comfort zone. I spend a lot of time in it. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you're here right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is one of my comfort zones. I've been here for 20 years. It goes like that, doesn't it? Um, this is familiar territory. There's loads of familiar faces. I'm blessed by being part of this family. I thought, what can I do just to get out of my comfort zone? Well, I went down the road and went to a bookmaker's and placed a bet. Now, 
Let me just explain why I did that before you get really worried about one of the elders of the church. Okay? I was getting out of my comfort zone. I wasn't damaging my conscience. I'm not encouraging anyone to go damage their conscience. I'm not encouraging anyone to go gamble. It was a really small, it was a small stake. Okay? I, 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 I decided that I would bet on something that I thought was very unlikely to happen, so I've got no vested interest in kind of watching how the premiership unfolds. So that was it. I thought, okay, Tottenham to win the league. Um, but let me tell you why I, why, I, why I went. I heard of someone else do something similar. When I come through those doors, I'm really comfortable. I know what's going to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. None of us knows precisely. But I know what to expect. And we don't have, I don't think, uh, some sort of written down code of conduct. But in this place, in this environment, I also know how to behave. I know the sorts of conversations that we have. I know what to expect in between songs. So I, I just, I'm ready for it. I thought, what's it like to walk through the doors feeling really anxious or apprehensive because you don't know. You don't really know what to do. You don't know how to behave. You don't know what to say. You don't know what people are going to say to you. you you're not quite sure what it feels like. I thought, I want to, well, I don't really, but I want to just learn what it's like to step into someone else's world. That's familiar territory for some. It's, it's totally not for me. If you see me there, running in and out of the door, like every day, something has probably gone wrong, or revival has broken out in the bookmakers. It could, it could be either way, so just ask me about it. But I thought, I, I, want, I need to step into some other people's world. I need to find out what it's like. I need to, I need to have that feeling of your heart beating slightly faster, because it feels a bit uns, unsure, unsteady. That was just my... I, I came up with another idea. Maybe I'll share that in a future time because I haven't done it yet. Um, just little ways of nudging myself out of my comfort zone. Nudging myself out of my Christian bubble. Nudging myself. Now, I didn't share my faith. I didn't lead anyone to Christ. I haven't made a disciple yet in the bookmakers. But I thought, it's not going to happen by just staying put in, in ordinary Christian living, if you like. I need to be a believer out there in places where it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to be. Some people will experience a nudge from the Holy Spirit, go on the website, find a church and rock up knowing no one. Some people will do that. It's probably not that many though, is it? And so there's this great wonder, this great privilege in us gathering together. We do this on purpose. This is important. This is actually part of the mission as we seek to encourage one another, as we get into teaching, as we consider ourselves how to grow in our own discipleship, this is our privilege. We expect to encounter the presence of God when we do this and to encourage one another. This is wonderful. But in prioritizing gathering, let's not forget the importance of scattering and scattering well and to trust in the presence of God to be with us, whether we feel it or not, the presence of God to be with us this time tomorrow. Where will you be and what will you be doing and who will you be with this time tomorrow? Do you have faith to encounter God this time tomorrow? Do you have faith to share something of your faith this time tomorrow? Do you have faith 
to possibly offer to pray for someone this time tomorrow. It's quite easy to do it this time today. It's a, little, it's a different ball game this time tomorrow. But let's, let's keep that in mind. We can go around the corner, we can knock on a neighbor's door, we can go to work a few minutes early, uh, we, can, we can seek a couple of ways just to step out of our own, uh, own comfort zones. How are we also to make disciples? Well, by baptizing Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. No, they need to be disciples first, not forcing them into the water. You there, stranger, um, pinning people down. Um, that wouldn't be good. But what this is reminding us about is that this journey, this journey of discipleship, if you like, it does begin personally in the heart before God Repenting of sin and putting our faith in the Lord Jesus. And that is then shown at some point, not that long afterwards, hopefully, by being baptized in water publicly. Saying publicly, this is what's happened to me. Saying publicly, I belong to Jesus now. Saying publicly, my old life has died and my new one has begun in Christ. And we all applaud. That is a wonderful moment, isn't it? It's just so, whatever the person's story whether it's I grew up in a Christian home or I just got saved in the most dramatic way uh, from severe drug addiction or what have you, whatever the story that we hear, it's just so wonderful. That's our privilege to be a community, seeing people get baptised. And, and, and perhaps this is just a, a provocation to faith, again, that we can think, rather than seeking to make disciples, we can kind of step back from it, we can dilute it a little bit, maybe because of our doubts, maybe because of our hesitation, uncertainty, and think, well, rather, go, rather than go the whole hog and have that conversation or develop that relationship with someone that might result in them one day actually getting baptized, I'll settle for being kind of a nice person. And, and, and being a good witness involves being a nice person. Now, I'm not arguing that anyone should be unpleasant. Um, but I suppose by being a nice person, we might hope that it's recognized in the workplace or the community or at home or in our neighborhood that we responded a bit differently to that crisis. You didn't lash out. You didn't fight back. You didn't kind of get really angry. Or they've, they kind of just get the flavor. There's something different. You've actually, you really have forgiven them, haven't you? That's, that's amazing. How do you manage to forgive that person for all they've done to you? That is being salt and light, isn't it? That is part of what it means to be a believer. The world seeing that we live in a different kingdom. We have a different king. And we're following in his, his footsteps. But actually, in addition to that, speaking about Jesus. And sharing faith in Jesus. There's another story in here. It's earlier on in the book. It's a lady called Isabel. Isabel is... Uh, maybe around the age of 70. And she's in a part of a small discussion group. And, and that discussion group of disciples are being asked the question, where do you spend most of your time? It's talking about kind of making disciples and using the whole of life as an opportunity. Where do you spend most of your time? What, what's your front line, as it were? Where, where are you meeting those who don't yet believe and interacting on that meaningful level? Um, I'm sure that you know, others shared their opportunities. He said, well, I don't, I don't really know. I, I clean the house. I go to the shops. 
and I look after the grandkids. Mostly, that's what I do with my time when I'm awake. Um, but then she started to share, uh, uh, sometimes she'll pick some of the younger grandkids up from school. The oldest grandchild comes to her for lunch every Sunday. And, and it finds out that that grandchild is 22, not a believer, but that Isabel, the 70-ish year old, is a believer. She's heard somebody preach that morning. And then she realizes with kind of new, uh, uh, kind of fresh realization, if you like, this is my front line. I'm not meeting with hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm not literally flying to other nations and planting churches. I'm here. I'm sat at my dinner table, and I've got my granddaughter round for dinner. She's my front line. She's the one I'm living life with. I'm not forcing her to get baptized, but, but slowly and surely she has the opportunity to share. And sometimes her granddaughter would ask questions about well, what, what did happen, what was said at your church this morning. Then the preacher realizes, because the preacher's just thinking, I'm preaching to a room of men and women of a certain age, a small group. He then realizes actually that through Isabel, he's preaching to this 22-year-old. Right, what does that 22-year-old need to hear Isabel say? That's what I'll preach. <laughs> to resource and equip her. She sees it in a new way. With that provocation being, I'm not just here to be a nice person and hope they notice he's got something to do with Jesus. I, I'm here to talk about him. I'm, to, I'm here to share Jesus. And I want the joy and the, the privilege and the, and, and the excitement of urging others to follow him, of urging others to receive him and ultimately, well, not ultimately, but definitively get baptized. So I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. That's... That's the privilege we want. Sometimes in our doubts, we can shrink back from it. and say, I'm sure that's someone else's gift. And I have seen some amazing uh, giftedness in this church of, of people just urging people and, and, and nudging people in love. You don't have to wait. Seeing it at the Alpha Course, seeing it with Chris Jordan, just kind of catching people with a smile on the door on the way out and saying, so what are you thinking about the Christian faith? Have you made it a response yet? Oh, no, I'm kind of still thinking about it, chewing that over. Well, what's to stop you doing it now? And people kind of just responding to her warmth. Seeing it with Brian Adam as well, just, just giving a friendly nudge to someone, saying, he's there for you as well, you know. And just this, this joy of being a disciple-making community. Let's, let's expect, in other words, not just to be wearily sowing all the time, or actually maybe just wearily sowing not very much, but actually we're called to be sowing and reaping, investing and making uh, disciples. It says also, uh, let we make disciples by teaching. Jesus says for us to go make disciples, verse 20, teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded. This is still an awesome uh, commission. And here, this starts with having a, an, an attitude ourselves of, of still being a disciple, of still reckoning that we are learners, that we're continuing to learn. We don't know everything. In fact, it's not just about knowing information in any case. When Jesus says this, the emphasis is on learning to obey, learning all that I've commanded. 
And sometimes we come into a new situation in life and we have to learn again. Okay, this is how faith applies here now in this different season of life, in this different challenge. But this is encouraging us to have that ongoing expectation and goal. I'm, I am a disciple, right? The core of my being now is a new creation in Christ. This is my identity. I'm a learner. I'm not an expert. I'm a learner. Sometimes we can get discouraged because we assume that other people are experts and that we have to be one, but we never feel that we can. I don't think I'll ever make it to that. They weren't experts. They learnt and they continued learning. That's what we're called to do. To learn. Christ-likeness in marriage. To learn. Godliness in parenting. To learn. Uh, to conduct ourselves with integrity in the workplace, to, to learn in all sorts of different ways and, and aspects of life. Not as a kind of a, 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 a kind of heavy weight um, or, or, or fearing condemnation, but knowing Jesus has chosen us and he's chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit, to keep learning and to honour his name uh, in the process. A disciple would sit at the feet of their mentor. That's what Mary did. She sat down and listened to Jesus. This is part of what it means to follow the Great Commission, is to make sure I'm still sitting down with Jesus, just him and me, in God's word, praying through some yawns, but having some time with him. And in his word, I want to learn. I want to, then I want to pass things on. I want to impart what we have learned to others. Again, sometimes we can be nervous. I don't want to appear like I'm the expert. I don't want to appear that like I'm pushy. I don't want to appear like I've got all the answers. Well, we know that you don't, so it's fine. But let's not be too cautious even with one another. To encourage one another and to impart. If, if we've learned something, to share it. Now, sometimes what can happen is, and maybe this happens in, in Western culture or British culture a bit more, is, is we can have an expectation that discipleship is a, a very formal, organized, one-to-one relationship. And if you're being discipled, you are the disciple, and the person discipling you is, is, your, is your mentor or your spiritual director or something else. Now, maybe there's some value in those relationships. Timothy had Paul. Paul had Timothy. There was a special connection between them. But sometimes we can just default to thinking, well, those 11 disciples had Jesus, so I need somebody. No, we, we all have Jesus. He's the one who's doing the teaching. How he does that is in all sorts of different ways as we're part of a community. Sometimes it happens like this, with preaching to a, a, to a group. Sometimes it's in, as part of small groups. And a lot of the time, it's in conversation, and it's one anothering. That's what Paul encourages the church in Colossae. In, verse, uh, in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Well, we're encouraged to teach and admonish one another, not, not in some heavy-handed way, not necessarily by official appointment. I shall be your discipler and you shall be my disciple. No, it's, we are a community of disciples encouraging one another to be filled with the message of Jesus and have that positively spit out from our lives in all sorts of different ways. Now, I should probably start wrapping up, really. Let's just look at that very last phrase. We considered who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to some disciples, some of whom were doubting. 
We considered how are we to make disciples? Well, by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. And then lastly, let's just note, what does Jesus promise? Already referred to it, but here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's another, it's another theme in Matthew's gospel, right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Joseph is told, call him Emmanuel. Call Jesus. God is with us. Here's my son. Well, he's God's son. This is meet God with us. Jesus, he's come to us. Those encouragements where two or three gather together and agree together. Maybe even in the context of forgiving each other, where two or three gather together and, and agree together, there I am with them. Celebrating and knowing the presence of God and this encouragement that comes at the end. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That means tomorrow at this time. Or that means Wednesday at half past five. It, it means God is with us. Let, take that by faith. We don't, don't try and look for feelings to persuade yourself that it might be true, possibly on Sundays, depending on the direction of the wind or how good a night's sleep you got, or whether you've had a cup of coffee that morning or not. No, God is with us. He's for us, and he's with us. And our privilege is to know that when we gather together like this, in a special way. And our privilege, and our faith, is to know that when we scatter as well, into all different parts of the city, and all different parts of life. And my encouragement, and my prayer, is that we would know more, we would learn more about the presence of God because we gave ourselves afresh to this great commission. What are we going to learn about the presence of God by going into uncomfortable places, by investing in relationships, by, by knocking on neighbors' doors, and by seeking to live a life of faith in Jesus in a public and conspicuous way? What will we see Jesus do? How will we see him move? How will we see his presence become apparent around us? That, that's to excite us. That is to encourage us. That's what we've been looking at this week, to be a people on mission. Now, if you are anything like me, you might be full of nerves at times. Uh, you think, I just want to be in my comfort zone, please, Lord. Well, I think there's probably greater blessings outside of it. Amen? Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray and we'll, and we'll sing again as we all respond.